Thank you for listening to the Exchange Church Podcast. Follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for the Exchange Church Houston. If you would like to give to the Exchange Church, you can go to our website at IamTheExchange.com and look for the red button in the top right corner labeled Give Online. I want to say welcome to uh, Kelly and Penny Kelts uh, this morning. They are like uh, my second parents. Um, I grew up, this is Kevin's parents, Pastor Kevin's parents, if you didn't know. And uh, we got into a lot of trouble from them. And (laughs) we made their life really difficult. We were talking yesterday or Friday. One story we had was when we were like, I think we were freshmen, uh, freshmen in high school. Back where we grew up, you know, you start driving like when you're 13 or younger. Uh, so we're, we're kind of driving. We had a buddy who was about a year older than us, and he had a Toyota pickup truck. I lived at the youth camp in West Texas, and so from Kevin's house to my house is about nine miles. From my house to the school is about 18 miles. And I lived on three miles of dirt road, okay? So five or six cattle guards, uh, a lot of cattle on a ranch, and but I lived at a big youth camp and stuff. So we decided one night that it was wise for us to all spend the night together so that we could wake up in the morning and go to two-a-days, okay? Now, we hated two-a-days. We loved football. We'd die for football, but we hated the practice part of it. And uh, so we came up with a genius plan, genius plan. This is before cell phones, okay? So we didn't have cell phones. My parents weren't home, so we had the camp to ourselves. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so we had the camp to ourselves. That probably happened a few times. We used to scare ourselves driving home those long, dark roads at night, and nobody's at the camp thinking about, you know, all these scary movies and somebody jumping out of Anyway, so we come up with this genius plan to get out of football practice. We have to be at the at the field, we have to be on the field at six o'clock in the morning. So it's just terrible. I mean, God's not even awake at six o'clock in the morning. So we, we had this plan. We're going to drive down the road. So we didn't have cell phones. We're going to go far enough away from the camp that it's going to take us the whole football practice to get back to the camp so that we can call somebody for help. And we're going to have a blowout. So we drive a couple miles down the dirt road and we have a blowout in the form of a knife. And we stab Chad's tire. I mean, we just chopped it up. Blowout. Oh, no. We can't go to football practice. This is awful. Oh, nothing we can do about that. So we start walking back to the camp. And we're like, this is genius. Because we can't get in trouble. Because if you skip practice, you have to run. Like two miles on the track and your full pads and cleats on the track. So we're about halfway back to the camp. And we could hear something down dirt road, and you look, and over the hills, you could see dirt coming up, so you know it's a car coming. So we're thinking it might be Benny D, you know, the, the guy who owns all the ranch. It's Kelly, <laughs> Kevin's dad. So he gets up to us, and we're like, yeah, we had a blowout. Y'all had a blowout? Well, I saw the truck. That's not a blowout. 
Well, we were young. We didn't know what a blowout looks like. We didn't know we needed to shred the tire. We just thought this. We thought if it's flat and has a knife hole in it, that's a blowout. Nothing you can do about that. And he's like, that ain't no blowout. So what does he do? He tells on us. <laughs> anyway, we don't know if he really told on us or not. But either way, we got back to the foot. He gave us a ride. Thank you, Kelly, for that. <laughs> gave us a ride to football practice, and we had to run uh, on the track, and it was awful. So, but we have a lot, a lot of stories like that. Lots of stories. Good stories and crazy stories and mostly it was all Kevin's fault but I was always there so guilty by association listen we're starting a brand new series today we're continuing what we did last year the exchange cinema presents so we're going to take some movies and we're going to preach a word that God's laid on our heart with uh, some movie themes so that you can kind of relate this now when we launched last year it was about this time uh, on our launch day I I started this with Iron Man y'all do anybody remember that and I talked about the power core and the Holy Spirit inside of us that powers us to do things. And uh, so we're bringing back the Exchange Cinema Presents 2017. 2017. So, so we're going to do that this morning. And I'm going to let you uh, see the movie that we're, I'm going to base this message on that God's put on my heart. Hello. Yeah? Uh, this is Detective Neil Garrett from the 32nd Precinct. I'm uh, calling on behalf of Captain Stacy. He would like you to come down to the station to speak with him. Originally, we thought that this man, Dennis Carradine, was your husband's killer. We were wrong. What? Turns out Mr. Carradine was only an accomplice. The actual killer is still at large. What are you talking about? This is the man who killed your husband. His name is Flint Marco. He's a small-time crook who's been in and out of prison. He got this wrong. Two days ago, he escaped. Evidently, he confessed his guilt to a cellmate. And we have a couple of witnesses who will corroborate the story. No, wait, sir. You don't want to do this. Would you put these photos away, please? I'm sorry, Mrs. Parker. I, I know this isn't easy, but please be patient with us. We're doing our job. We will catch him. No, you're not doing your job. I watched my uncle die, and we chased down the wrong man. Now you're telling me you had suspicions for two years? Witnesses? Well, why, why weren't we told about this? Settle down, son. No, I have no intention of settling down. This man killed my uncle, and he's still out there. Spider-Man 3. This is the revenge Spider-Man. Just to catch you up, he goes to the police station, and and this is where they get the call you just saw, and they're informed that Uncle Ben wasn't killed by the guy that they thought. Flint Marco kills him. And so if you notice in that clip, immediately 
Peter Parker, okay, the guy who plays Spider-Man, the Spider-Man's character, he starts to flash back. Now, he wasn't there when Uncle Ben died, but he starts to flash back in this instant, and he replays it in his mind what happens, what he believes happens. So he sits there, and, and you see the tears start to well up in his eyes, and he notices that something terrible happened, and, and, and he chased down the guy who he thought killed Uncle Ben, and they came to this point in the window, and, and the guy's stepping back, and he trips out of a window, and he, he falls to the ground and dies. So, so Peter Parker think it, thinks it's over. Now he finds out that that's the wrong guy, and the guy who killed Uncle Ben's still out there. And immediately in that moment, if you pay attention to that clip, you can see the revenge start to fester. Okay? He starts to develop a plan. And so we're going to stop here for a moment. We're going to go to the Word of God. So if you would, stand with me. We're going to be reading out of the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Now, this is a, a short verse, but I want you to get this, and I want you to get where we're going here. It says, And forgive us of our debts as we forgive our Come on, let's say it together. And forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors, okay? This is a prayer that most of us have prayed our whole life. When we used to play football, we gather in a circle. And we all say the Lord's Prayer. That's what you do, okay? And Jesus taught this prayer, and he says this, And forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Father, we pray right now, Lord, that your hand continue to be up on this service. You've already done such an incredible thing in, in, in our hearts and lives, God. And I believe that, that there's people that's already been changed this morning just by uh, your presence in our, our worship time. Lord, but I pray that this word become life to somebody. That there's somebody here that will grab hold of this and it will literally set them free from the chains that has them bound up, Jesus. We thank you for it. In your precious name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. Listen, notice the word in, in verse number 12. It says, we are praying that God will treat us like we treat others. That's the prayer we just prayed, right? Forgive us of our, as we forgive, treat us like we're treating others, right? So we don't say it that way, because that way it sounds like there's a lot more responsibility on us. We want to say, forgive us, God. Forgive us as we continue to forgive. We don't want to say, treat us like we treat, because that, that's different, right? But it's the exact same thing. I was reading and, and working on this message uh, about forgiveness, and former president Gerald Ford wrote a book called A Time to Heal. And he focuses on the confusing and tragic uh, twilight of the Nixon presidency, where clearly President Nixon was guilty of a cover-up with the Watergate case. Now, in this church, most of you probably don't remember that. Okay? There are other churches where more people remember that. But here we tend to be a little bit younger. And so probably, how many of you remember that? How many of you were alive when that happened? I, I wasn't. I put my hand down. So I, I really wasn't there, but... Okay, see, so some of you kind of remember this a little bit, and, and you can probably imagine where you were at when it started unfolding, and the stories your parents or family started talking and telling you about this, but um, Nixon is guilty of this cover-up, and his pride kept him from ever admitting the truth. And I believe that probably had he stood up in front of America and said, you know what, I was wrong, I was dead wrong, and I'm sorry forgive me. You know what? America probably 
would have forgiven him. To, to be honest, that's probably what would have happened. We don't know because that's not what he did. But President Ford is now faced with this grievous dilemma. He says, should I, should I let the legal charges run their course and allow Nixon to be in, indicted and then tried? Or should I pardon him? He thinks about it and he talks about this in his book. He says, if I decide to let justice run the process, everything else in this country would be blotted out for probably two or three years as this trial plays out. Can you, you can only imagine that nothing else in, in the nation would probably matter for a long time. That, I mean, you know how we are today. I mean, if anything happens, that's what we talk about constantly, nonstop. If you look at, if you turn on talk shows at night, and, uh, and I like to watch some of the talk shows because some of these guys are just hilarious, the, the jokes they play and things they do. But you can flip through channels and you can go through every single talk show. All the talk show hosts, almost every single one of them, are comedians, so they do stand up. All of them start off their show with a monologue. And you know what the first joke almost every one of them tells is? It's a Donald Trump joke. Every single one. Well, this week in the Trump administration. This week. That's all we Can you just imagine that if we were back in that time, uh, if, if this would have gone to trial and it would have been everything that we talk about, everything in the news, everything on the talk shows would have just been consumed with this whole uh, Nixon thing. So he decides, do I do that or do I forgive him? Therefore, he decided to pardon the former president, feeling that it was best for the nation. And he explains it in this, this sentence, and I quote, America needed recovery, not revenge. The hate had to be drained and the healing begun. Okay? Isn't that powerful? I declare today that today for some people... The hate has to be drained and the healing has to begin. And we would like to sit in this crowd this morning and go, well, he's definitely preaching to somebody else today because I don't have hate in my heart. I'm a part of the exchange. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unexchanged. I have Holy Spirit power. I am bought with a price. Amen. And we're like, oh, we're praising God while we go lifting our hands. We start talking about hate. That's not me. I don't have hate in my heart. We all face, one time or another, the choice of revenge or recovery, right? Probably you faced that this week or last week or last month. You'll face it again probably this week or next month. We face it all the time. People hurt us. People wrong us. People offend us. They lie to us. They abuse us. They mistreat us. They leave us because we're all built and born with a sinful nature, and it becomes our natural response to become bitter, resentful, vengeful. In a world full of broken relationships and wounded spirits, unresolved issues, people who have been truly hurt and never forgive that person, they let unforgiveness grow into bitterness and hatred. Okay? Trust me, I've been dealing with this uh, for several weeks with people and, and, and just talking to people and counseling people and helping people and even in my own life one of the reasons that I started exploring this is because I realized that I allow people to hurt my feelings and then after they hurt my feelings and I don't get over it it's not just hurt feelings anymore I feel like they were trying to hurt me and when I feel like they were trying to hurt me not just accidentally hurt my feelings then I start to get defensive right 
Come on, don't act like it's just me in this place. I start to get defensive, and when I start to get defensive, I put walls up. And as I put walls up, I start to look at them, and I start to pick them apart. And then I start to change my prayer, okay? No longer am I praying for them and God bless them. Now I'm just praying, God, keep them away from me, okay? And then my prayer becomes, God, don't let them succeed. That, no emails there? None of y'all ever prayed that? Man, I, I got fired from a church one time when I was young. And I got, I got let go because at the time I had too many Mexicans in my youth group. And he told me this. He said, there's a young man down the street, a white young man. You need to get guys like him in our church. They could build us a youth center. He said, you know, I have no problem with Mexicans. He said, but it makes, and he named a board member. He said, it just makes him nervous having his daughter back there. What? This is this gospel truth. So long story short, about a week later, he let me go. Well, when he let me go, I was so furious, so mad, so mad. I looked at knives in my house to see which knife would be better to slash his tires. I honestly did. He had a dog that I liked, and this dog could kind of talk. He'd like say like hello and stuff. It's weird. I thought about like tying something to that dog and lighting it on fire and making the dog run around. I thought all those things, and I'm just being completely transparent. You can think I'm psycho, but I was. I was psycho because I was vengeful. I was hurt, and now I wanted to just hurt back, okay? You hurt me, so now I want to hurt back. And so hatred is one of the most destructive forces in life. Okay, it's like a cancer. It tears down our emotions. It destroys our true personality. It's poisonous to the body. And it not only destroys others, but it ultimately destroys us. Okay, this hurt I carried out of this church. And I carried it for a year, a year and a half. Um, I, I moved to the town where my parents lived. And I remember telling them, listen, I'm living here. I know you're a pastor. Don't ask me to come to church. Okay, I love God. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to serve God, but I'm not coming to your church. Because I think church people and pastors suck. That's honest to God what I said. They're terrible. I don't want any part of it. Okay? I love God, but I hate everybody else. Because they hurt me. And the people that I trusted the most hurt me. And I'm done. I'm done. They said, okay. And I said, and if you invite me to church one time for a Christmas event, I won't talk to you anymore. I, this is the gospel truth. This is what I said. And I didn't. They didn't invite me for a year. They didn't talk to me about church. And I, I got a, a job, and uh, I worked at a seed company in Rawls, Texas, Triumph Seed Company. And I worked, and, and uh, I kind of loved God, but I was just mad at people. And I would drive by churches, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever church. Every, every sign they put up, I'm like, that's a stupid sign. That's a dumb sign. I hope nobody goes to their church. I was hateful, angry, angry, angry person. Shakespeare says this. He says, heat not the furnace so hot that you send yourself. So Matthew chapter number 18, starting with verse 20, uh, 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall, I sin, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king 
who wanted to settle all of his accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle his accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we're going to go back over that in just a minute. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay back. I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He laid his hands on him, took him by the throat, and he said, pay me what you owe me. His fellow servant fell at his feet, begged him, saying, have patience with me. I'll pay you all. And he would not. But he went threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had, what had been done, uh, the sorry, I lost my spot there for a second. When they saw what had been done, then his master, after he had called him to him, said, "You wicked servant! I forgave you of all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you?" And his master was angry and delivered him into the tortures until he should pay all that was due him. Now, this is Jesus telling the story as Peter comes to him and approaches him. This is Jesus talking. And Jesus says, so my heavenly father will do to each of you from if from his heart he does not forgive his brother that trespasses. Now, listen. We talk a lot about Peter. I love to preach about Peter because if it wasn't for Peter, I wouldn't have scripture for half the issues in my life, okay? So if it wasn't for Peter, I don't know where the Bible would even be um, for me. And so we talk about Peter, and Peter comes up with this genius question, and I love this question because I've been wronged. Have you been wronged? Has anybody ever hurt you? I mean, really hurt you. And Jesus, he just tells this story that's a really powerful story, really kind of strong. He uses some strong words here. And so Peter asked him this question before the story. He says, how, how, many times, how many times do I have to forgive somebody that continues to hurt me? The, the question is not so much what do I do, but it, how many times do I have to do it? How many times do I have to continue to let this hurt? Peter wants to know how many times do I forgive somebody before I finally get revenge, okay? It's not just about forgiving them and let them go, but when do I finally get satisfaction from their stupidity? When do I finally get satisfaction from the things that they continue to do to me over and over and over again? In my opinion, just reading all about Peter all throughout the Gospels and, and the New Testament, I believe Peter had an anger problem. Okay, you believe that? Uh, I think Peter probably had a little bit of an anger issue. But Peter, he goes and he says, do I, do I do it seven times? Now, the Jewish law requires that you forgive someone three times. That's what the law tells us to do. So Peter, he doubles that, adds a bonus forgiveness on there. And he says, do I do it seven times? Huh? Huh? Am I the man? Am I the man, Jesus? You want me to do it? And the law says Three times, I'm going to give you seven. Should I do it seven times? What a deal. What a deal. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, right? And so Peter thinks he's come up with this incredible bargain. And Jesus is, 
is telling him, listen, I'm, I want you to forgive more than that. It's not about a number of forgiveness. I want you to forgive so many times you can't even really keep count. So here's Peter's issue. He's not asking if, how many times do I forgive the person. He's asking, when do I finally get revenge? He just doesn't want to forgive. He wants revenge. So Jesus is not giving a math lesson here, but he says this. He's, he gives you a number, and he's not giving you a number so that you check it off a list so that you can keep track of. But Jesus says, 70 times seven. In other words, every time you forgive, it's like brand new. Brand new, starts off 70 times seven. That's 490 times, okay? Because that's what I would have done. That's what Peter did. Peter's like, seven times seven, 70, seven times 70. Carry the 490 times? He can mess with me 400. He can continue to sin against me 490 times. That's, that's one time a week for nine and a half years. You want me to forgive him every week for nine and a half years? That's ridiculous, Jesus. Ridiculous. But Jesus illustrates it and he gives this parable. And I'm going to take this parable. We're going to break it down to three points here. A debt, a deal, and a dungeon. Number one is a debt. Verse number 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle his accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay his master, and his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children all that they had, and that the payment be made. 10,000 talents. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. So let me paint you a picture. This is the region of Galilee. The entire tax on the region of Galilee for one year was 200 talents. Okay? So think about it. The man owed the equivalent of 50 years taxes on the entire region of Galilee. My first question when I start reading this, breaking it down, is how in the world do you get in that? I mean, I know some people who get into debt. But I ain't never met anybody getting to that kind of debt. That's equivalent to $10 million for us today. Okay? So he, this guy got into some mad, crazy debt, right? So the point is that he's in an unpayable debt. Jesus is telling the story. And as he tells the story, he says, you know, this man owed 10,000 talents. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to express, especially to Peter, listen, this guy had a debt that was unpayable. He was never going to be able to pay back this debt. It wasn't going to happen. It was an unpayable debt because it was so great. Sound familiar? See, the law requires that when we sin, that when we fail, that there's to be a sacrifice made, right? There's blood to be shed for the sin that we have in our life. That's what the Bible has taught us as we grow. And, and ultimately, it comes to the point that we have an un, unpayable debt. We, we have a debt that, that we can't afford. We've, we've put ourselves in a position of sin that we can't pay this debt. And that was the whole salvation process. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to pay a debt we could not possibly pay on our own. We couldn't do it. We continue to fail over and over and over and make mistakes. We're imperfect people. So Jesus came to fix the whole system that was kind of messed up. Right? Jesus came and he became the perfect sacrifice so that you and I could now be perfect in the eyes of Christ. So he pays a price that he can't afford. Number two, 
he makes a deal. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. I'll pay you all. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave the debt. You know, if I was the master, I probably would have said, you know what? Okay, I'm going to have patience with you. I want you to go. I want you to just start paying me back. Just pay me back what you can. That's not what the master said. The master said, okay, it's done. Your slate is clean. But the servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him, saying, have patience with me. Sound familiar? This guy just said the same thing. And he says, have patience with me. I'll pay you all. And he would not. But he went and he threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. Now, he paid a debt that he didn't know. Exactly what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus makes the slate clean for us. This, this master makes the slate clean for this servant. Now this servant goes to this other guy, and he's expecting him to give him payment. Okay? All we have to do is ask. The word redeemed is really a financial term. Do you know that? The word redeemed is really a financial word because it's paying the price for us. Jesus paid the price when he redeemed us. This man had just been forgiven. He goes and he faces this other man, and he says, I want you to pay me what you owe. The guy goes, please have mercy on me. He says, no, and he throws him in prison. That's really not fair, is it? So Jesus, again, he's telling this story. So really what Jesus was trying to say is this man really didn't want payment. He wanted punishment. And when it comes to revenge and unforgiveness in our hearts, it's really that we're not looking for payment. We're looking for punishment. We're not just looking for them to come to us and say, I'm sorry and I forgive you. Because if we release them, we're releasing them from all that debt. And so we're really looking for punishment. That's what revenge is. That's what revenge is all about. Sometimes we think that by punishing people or holding a grudge, and not, we're not letting them off the hook. Okay? If we hold that grudge and we continue to punish people, we're making them waller in that. You know, we're, pay, we're making them really pay for what they did to us. This man owed the guy 100 denarii, which is equivalent to about 100 days wages back then. Today, in today's money, it's about $15. Okay? $15. He puts the man in jail until he can repay. Not only is this guy ungrateful, he's unreasonable. He really doesn't want to resolve the issues. He just wants the man, man to be miserable. And when we have hate in our heart, when we have revenge in our heart, when people have wronged us, usually that's where we get to. Is this point right here where it's not about getting back what, what we think is owed to us, but it's about making somebody pay, making someone miserable. The key to forgiveness is to stop focusing on what someone did to you and start focusing on what God did for you. Okay? It's, in other words, it's getting your eyes off the $15 and putting your eyes on the $10 million. Okay? When, when you get your eyes off the $15 that somebody owes you and you realize that, that you have uh, somebody paid a debt $10 million for you, then that $15 is not that big of a deal. But when we start focusing on me, 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 and I'm going to pay you back and you're going to owe me, the revenge just boils up and it eats us. Number three at Dungeon, verse 32. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you your debt because you begged me. Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant? 
just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry, and he delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due him. And then Jesus makes this statement. He says, so my heavenly father will do to each of you if from his heart does not forgive his brother who trespasses, his trespasses. He says, this is, this is the way my dad sees it. Unforgiveness is so powerful, so strong, it's going to destroy your life. Unforgiveness, unforgiving people always end up in their own prison. Okay? I was talking to someone this week, and uh, we were having a conversation about forgiveness. And, well, and I was asked, well, Pastor, how, how long do I allow this to happen to me? And I was like, you don't want to hear it because I'm studying on this right now and you're not going to like it. And they asked me, they said, well, just tell me, how, what, if they continue to do this to me, how, how long do I let it go? You let it go. But they, 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 they. I went home that day and I, I put on this Spider-Man movie because I knew this is what I was going to use. And I rewatched it and I watched Peter Parker as he found out that he got the, that the wrong guy was killed a while back. And now the killer's still on loose. And I watched that look in his eyes. That look in his eyes where he went, somebody's got to pay. Somebody's got to pay this price. My uncle was murdered. And, and Peter, not even being there, he starts to replay this picture in his mind. And he starts to imagine what happened. That this guy looked at the old man and, and he chose to just shoot him because he was an angry person. And so Peter, in his mind, now it's vengeance. I've got to go find Flint Marco and I've got to kill him. We will receive God's forgiveness in the same way that we forgive others. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. There are many people who've repented, loved God, paid tithes, come to church, involved in ministry, seeing, shout, but they make no progress. They feel like there's no breakthrough. They feel like they're praying to a brick wall and their goals aren't being met and they feel like victory keeps falling short over and over and over. It has nothing to do with their salvation, but it has everything to do with the stopping that unforgiveness creates in our lives. Okay, that's what unforgiveness does. It begins to hinder the work of God flowing through our lives. Okay, and, and in Psalms chapter 66, verse 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The psalmist, what he's saying is unforgiveness is so powerful, it'll destroy you. Unforgiveness is so dangerous, it'll destroy you. We become uh, prisoners in our own dungeon, in our own bondage and stronghold. And we never make any progress. We seem that everybody in the church seems to just be passing us by. And the question is really, what kind of unforgiveness are we harboring? Are we hanging on to? Is it mom, dad, a friend, or brother, a sister, a daughter, a spouse? Who is it that we just continue to hold on to? Forgiveness is when you release to the Lord, any bitterness that you feel you have the right to have towards someone. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Webster's Dictionary says it this way. Ceasing to feel resentment against an offender. That's what forgiveness is. This man was turned over to the tortures, the original 
Greek word for tortures is translated torture, one who brings pain, one who harasses and brings stress, one who brings pain to the body and the mind. That's what the word torture means. Tormentors come with unforgiveness and they come as evil spirits. And these spirits come in, in shapes called depression called fear, called anxiety, called disease and mental illness. They come in. When we allow unforgiveness in our heart, we're allowing these things to hold us back. And we feel anxiety and we feel stressed out. The stronghold of unforgiveness will block things like mercy flowing through our lives, the peace flowing through our lives, harmony in our family, in our relationships. It blocks healing. You know why? Because that unforgiveness plugs everything up. Now let, let me go back and make sure that you're with me. This is not about just your relationship with God, okay? This is not about your salvation. This is about the, the life that comes with, with Christ, okay? This is your healing, your, your, your walk with God, the harmony, the peace that, that passes all understanding. When we have unforgiveness in our heart, that's the things that get plugged up. I was at the doctor's office uh, a few months ago, and there's a poster on the back of his door. And uh, I could, I remembered some of it, so I looked it up, what it says. But it talks about the medical profession has documented diseases that are caused from chemical poisons that are released in the body by unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, and resentment. Isn't that crazy? That there are literally diseases. We make ourselves sick. Worrying over things. And unforgiveness, when we allow that to be bottled up inside of us, we are physically releasing poison toxins in our body. And you wonder sometimes why we just stay sick. Why we have headaches all the time. Why, why we just feel down and miserable and depressed. The frustration is, is you can repent and you can pray and you can read your Bible all you want, but there's nothing that takes the place of true forgiveness. When we forgive people, in 2 Kings chapter number 3, verse 19, it says, You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. Now, what this is talking about, in those days, the enemy, one of the ways that he fought, the enemy would fight, is by stopping up all the wells with big stones. Okay, If you can stop the flow of water into a city, that's a pretty big deal. And so the enemy would do that with these big stones. And the devil tries to do that still, the same tactic today. And that's what I'm talking about, is the devil will put stones in our life to block us. Our emotions are damaged. Our, we're rejected. We're mistreated by the hurt of these stones that the devil keeps putting in our path due to that unforgiveness that we keep harboring. And we're, we don't allow the rivers of living water to flow through us. It's interesting that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he ordered that the stone be taken away because that stone represented something that was blocking Lazarus from truly living. Lazarus could come to life inside that cave, but he was never going to truly live until the stone was moved. Forgiveness is not tolerance. It's not pretending. It's not forgetting. It's not diplomacy. Forgiveness is a deliberate act of the will. It's a full pardon. It's obedience. It's love. It's the key to freedom. It's breakthrough. That's what forgiveness is. James 2, 13 says, because, 
Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Have y'all ever, y'all don't know what Alcatraz is, right? Y'all read, studied. There was a TV show on several years ago, and it was a reality show, and they would put them in Alcatraz. Y'all see that show? I think it was called Alcatraz. <laughs> and they would put them in that, that prison, and they had to try to break out. It's kind of like a giant reality version of the escape room, Okay. So y'all see the escape room now kind of happening all over. Alcatraz, they say, is the most escape-proof prison in all the world. Uh, From 1933 to 1963, it served as a federal prison. uh, And during that time, 26 prisoners tried to escape. Three, only three, got out, but none of the three were ever seen or heard from again. Alcatraz is surrounded by cold, shark-infested waters of the San Francisco Bay. Alcatraz boasts high walls, double locked doors, machine guns, and in hands of guards, and a staff that was, was bragged about that could not be bribed. It was known throughout the prison system as the big house. Alcatraz was bad, okay? It was a bad, 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 bad prison. Uh, it wasn't like prison we see today or prison on TV. Alcatraz was a bad place. But there's a worse prison than that, and, the wor- and, and that's the prison that you create. The prison that we create, not by what happened to us, but what we build brick by brick with unforgiveness. We like to believe that we're in prison because of something somebody did to us. And nine times out of ten, it has nothing to do with what anybody did to us. I was telling this person this week, I said, here's the sad thing. You were wronged by this person. You feel wronged, correct? Absolutely. Okay. This person has repented, begged for forgiveness. You continue to hold that unforgiveness. So the person still in prison is the one who was done wrong to. Right? That doesn't seem fair. I was the one done wrong to. I was the one hurt. I was the one abused. And, 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 and this person comes along and asks for forgiveness, and now it's just supposed to be done? Yeah. Yeah. And so what happens is life goes on, and we, the ones that were hurt, we become the, the ones that are stuck in prison. We're the ones stuck in bondage. We're the ones stuck in Alcatraz. And, and brick by brick, we're building these walls because we're so angry. And we want them in prison, and, and it gets worse and worse and worse. At the beginning of, of service, we showed this clip where Peter and Aunt May, they, they learned that the killer's still out there. Peter starts plotting his revenge. The dark side starts coming out. I'm not going to go into all the details of, of how that happens in this movie, but there's this, this, this alien species that comes in, and it attaches itself, and it releases the dark side of of Spider-Man, of Peter Parker. After he finds Flint Marco, a.k.a. the Sandman, he kills him using tactics that Spider-Man would never use. Spider-Man's a good guy, a good guy, but he kills uh, Flint Marco, and then he returns to his Aunt May as Peter, and he's explaining to Aunt May what just happened, and he's trying to get her approval. Flint Marco man who killed Uncle Ben. He was killed last night. Oh, my. What happened? Spider-Man killed him. 
Spider-Man? I don't understand. Spider-Man doesn't kill people. Mm. What happened? I, uh... He... He was... I thought that, that you'd feel he deserved it, didn't he? I don't think it's for us to say whether a person deserves to live or die. But Aunt May, he killed Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben meant the world to us, but he wouldn't want us living one second with revenge in our hearts. It's like a poison. It can, it can take you over. Before you know it, turn us into something ugly. You can see the shock on Peter Parker's face. He's thinking Aunt May is going to be so happy. We killed the right guy. And when she's not happy, he's shocked. And he's trying to find the words. I, I, I thought, I thought your response would be different. I thought that once revenge is paid, then everything's better. Everything's better. And she goes on and she says, revenge is like a poison. It's a poison and it destroys us. It will destroy who you are. Ultimately teaching us that we are to forgive our enemy, enemies. So, so Peter, he has this perception of who Flint Marco is, okay? When, when he's in the police station and they tell him, Flint Marco killed your Uncle Ben, he starts replaying it. Remember that scene? And he replays it and he sees his partner coming out with the money and his partner run by him and he looks directly at Uncle Ben and he shoots him. And that's what Peter Parker has seen in his mind. And that revenge, that hate has been built upon that image, and so Peter goes and he seeks revenge and he thinks that he killed Flint Marco. And then at the end of this movie, he finds out Sandman actually didn't die. And he's faced with the Sandman one final time. I didn't want this. But I had no choice. We always have a choice. You had a choice when you killed my uncle. My daughter was dying. I needed money. I was scared. I told your uncle all I wanted was the car. What is it? I need your car. He said to me, why don't you just put down the gun and go home? I realize now he was just trying to help me. And then I saw my partner running over with the cash and the gun was in my hand.
did a terrible thing to you. I spent a lot of nights wishing I could take it back. I'm not asking you to forgive me. I just want you to understand. I've done terrible things too. I watched this scene over and over and over. And I'm not a big Tobey Maguire, you know. I, did, I was kind of glad when he's not the Spider-Man after this. But as I watched this scene over and over, I thought, man, he nailed. He nailed that spiritually. Because there's this moment that he's looking and he realizes that Everything I've been doing has been built off something that wasn't even true. I've been trying to destroy your life. And I had no idea what you were going through. I had no idea that you never intended to hurt me. You never intended to kill my uncle. And if you see the, the whole movie, there's scenes that take Flint Marco and he goes and he sneaks in to his daughter's room. And... and she's dying and there's no way she's going to make it they've got to have just a miracle and that's why he kind of turns into this this character this villain if you will because he's just trying to get money to save his daughter and spider-man's looking looking at him in the face and at the end of this movie he realized that what he thought was reality was not true at all that it was an accident. It was an accident. And I love, I love Tommy McGuire's face at the end of this. Because you see him looking at him. And you see him say, I forgive you. And at that, me, at that moment, the music, the sound, everything changed. You saw the, the pressure, everything in his face. It was like it was released. And I rewound I watched it again. I rewound I watched it again. I rewound and watched it again. I thought, man... There is no better spiritual picture than to see that moment 
of all that hate and all the revenge and all the destruction that was in his life. For a moment, for a moment, he says, I forgive you. And when he did, it was all just released. It was like he took this breath. It was like the air, the polluted air was just clear. It was like he got life back again. You know, and I paint this picture about, you know, God doesn't want to hear your prayers and this and that. There's all kinds of things that we can say. The fact is, the point of the message today is that unforgiveness will literally destroy our lives. It will destroy everything in our life. It will destroy relationships with with friends, with family, with our spouse. You may not even be mad at your spouse, but you hold unforgiveness to other people. That poison seeps into every area of your life. You start to wonder why everything at work keeps falling apart. Well, I can tell you why. You wonder why relation you wonder why it feels like you come to church and you don't really feel anything because there's walls you're in Alcatraz you've built up this wall this prison of unforgiveness and nothing is penetrating it and God is sitting here going all you got to do is just say I'm sorry all you got to do is release that person that's hurt you that's wronged you even though you may be justified for some of the pain that you feel I've been hurt by people before that have just destroyed me. So this pastor that hurt me, I leave and and I go a full year just hating this guy. And I'm being transparent. I hope you guys don't, you know, quit me because you think I'm just a bad person. But I'm just telling you like it was. And I remember just thinking... Man, I hope his church falls apart. I hope everybody in his church leaves and sees who he is. He's an evil person. He's an evil person. I'm justified. I am totally justified. I am right, right for feeling this way. I'm so right. He was so wrong. Anybody who who knows what happened can tell you exactly he was so wrong. But man, why was I so miserable? I was so miserable. Everything in my life was just hard. It was terrible. So I started thinking, you know what? Maybe it's ministry. I shouldn't have got out of ministry. Shouldn't let that guy get me out of ministry. So they needed somebody to fill in on a Wednesday night. And they were talking about the youth pastors out town. And I was like, I'll preach. Are you sure? Yeah, I'll preach. I'm a great youth pastor. I'm a really good youth pastor. I'll preach, man. I'll bring the house down. I got up there, and I just could not get out of the building fast enough. I mean, in the, the opening statement of my sermon, it, I was like, that didn't even make sense what I just said. And I'm thinking, I just need to get off the stage. Oh, my goodness. And there's not even but about 20 youth in the room and I'm just like this is terrible what am I doing obviously I'm not called to be a youth pastor anymore because I'm terrible and I was just miserable and I was like and I, I remember talking to my dad about it and other people about it just I guess I've lost it I guess I've lost it I've let let this guy get in my head now he's taken everything from me so I was given a book on forgiveness and I was asked to read this book on forgiveness. And I was like, why? You know, I mean, I'm done. I'm over it. It was over a year ago, a year and a half ago. I don't even care about that guy anymore. 
<laughs> well, read this book. Ah, whatever. I don't care. You know, forget him. I don't even know what he's done. I start reading this book. And at the end of every chapter, it leads you in a prayer. Okay. So at the end of the first chapter, it leads me in this little prayer. And I'm like, oh, this prayer is kind of dumb. I'm going to pray it. So I pray it. And at this point, I was praying every night in my living room. I'd turn on the stereo and I'd pray every night. So I'm reading this book and I'm trying to say this prayer. I was kind of dumb. The next chapter had me start to say names. So when I'm praying, it had me insert names. So I had to insert a name. I didn't like that. Because I started praying blessings over this person. I didn't like that. I was fine letting him go and releasing him and being over with, but I didn't want him blessed. In my mind, I had forgiven him. It's over. It's forgiven, forgotten. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at your spouse? Fine, it's, I forgive you. It's over. And it's not over. Come on, that was a good place. Y'all didn't want to say amen. I get it. I get it. I get it. You're thinking it, but you don't want to say it. And the next chapter, it got a little bit deeper. The next chapter got deeper. By the end of this, chapter 4 and 5, it has me praying for his wife and his kids, calling them by name. It has me praying for his finances. I had to start praying, blessing over his finances. Are you kidding me? I had spent a year cursing his finances. And now I've got to ask God to bless his finances. And now I've got to pray healing in his family and his life. And I start praying all this stuff. And I'm telling you, by the fifth or sixth chapter, oh, I realized real early that I obviously hadn't forgiven the guy. But by chapter five or six, I could not even read. My eyes were just so swollen and pouring, pouring water. I couldn't see anything. I'm sobbing like a baby as I'm praying over this guy, praying over this guy, praying over this guy. Now, I had dreamed for a year what would happen if we ran into each other, if we saw each other face to face, because I had a lot of ideas, a lot of great ideas. I had a lot of good one-liners that I had saved up, be like, okay, hang on just a second. First of all, yo mama is, (laughs) I mean, I was ready to see this guy. So, you know, I, I read this book. And about three weeks later, I'm in the Christian bookstore in Lubbock. I turn the corner, and we're face-to-face. And he's a big guy. We're face-to-face. And my heart, like, rolled out of my chest. I stood there, and I looked at him. And he said, hey, Pastor Jared. And I just grabbed him. I didn't know what to say. I just grabbed him and I said, hey, I love you. I just held him for a second. He kind of did the whole, you know. And then I just let him go. And I walked away. I, and I didn't say much. I didn't know, I didn't know what to say. And, you know, playing it back in my mind, I should have said more. But I was so shocked and stunned. I just stood there and about two weeks later I remember going and they were doing a tent revival in the area where I lived they were actually doing it at the youth camp and they asked me if I would speak at this tent revival it wasn't my parents another pastor had asked me if I would speak at this tent crusade or whatever they called it 
Absolutely. And I preached two nights at this crusade. God just stirred something up. All of a sudden, I was like, wow, I got it again. You know, I can say something. I can stand up here and not fumble my words. Thank you, Jesus, you know. And it all came back to this moment of forgiveness, of forgiveness. I get a phone call a couple days later. I, I run into this guy. Long story short, I end up going to Wichita Falls and meeting with a pastor. And this guy says, well, we've inter- interviewed about 100 people. We've narrowed it down to three uh, resumes. And all three guys are coming in this next week. We're going to interview them, and they're going to speak. And we're going to pick one of these three to be youth pastor. That's awesome. We eat lunch at the end of lunch. He says, you know what? Will you speak Wednesday night? I live three hours away from this town. I was like, I guess. I come back and I speak that Wednesday night. He offers me the job the next morning. I go apartment shopping looking for an apartment. They asked me at the apartment, well, how much are you going to make? What's your annual salary? And I was like, I don't know. They didn't tell me. I just accepted a job. I have no idea how much money I'm going to make. I have to call the church and talk to the secretary and say, hey, Miss Paula, uh, how much are they going to pay me? Because I need to get an apartment. I took a, a job at this church that was running about 800 people. I had never, I was in a town, I lived in a town that didn't have that many people. I lived in two towns together that barely had that many people. Fast forward a year, two years later, I start Master's Commission. Master's Commission is where I meet Pastor Ruben and Elena and Tishan. It's where I meet TJ all these guys fast forward one more year I go to Haiti and I meet that little girl I get to be a dad I get to be a dad I saw everything in my life just starting to work it was working and I now I look back and I just thank God that I had a moment of sanity where I realized I was wrong I wasn't in prison I mean, he wasn't in prison. I was. I thought that I had locked him up. I had cursed him and everything was going to go to hell in his life. And it was me. And when I released him, I I could sit down really honestly and and write it all down. And it would blow your mind. the, The events that happened over the next year and a half, two years. Unbelievable. The blessing and things, the favor that was on my life. And it had nothing to do with me, but I believe with all my heart, it had everything to do with unforgiveness. Coming to a point where I forgave, and I said, okay, I'm done. I'm done. It was the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. I was praying last week over our church and everybody in the church, and I realized there are a couple people that I, I needed to forgive that I I had started to start to build these little prisons I thought I was putting them in because they hurt me. They hurt me. Whether it was intentional or not, they hurt me. So I started praying and, and God started putting this on my heart and said, you know what? You're not the only one who needs to release some people. So I challenge you today, who is it that you need to release? Who is it that you feel like you've You've kept them prisoner by holding this grudge on them. And all along, you're the prisoner. You've wondered why things have been tough. Why life has been tough. And why 
Why don't you feel like you pray and you just wonder why God's not listening? God's going, I'm, I'm hearing you, but you're stopping me from doing anything because you've got this blockage. You've built this wall and you're not allowing me. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes all across this room for a moment. I, just in your, in your mind right now, I just want you to examine your life and your relationships and people you're connected to. Who is it that you need to release? What is it that's, that's happened to you? And you're justified. You were definitely wronged. Somebody hurt you, whether it was intentional or not. Somebody definitely abused you. And you know, for some of you in this room, it was a pastor. If you go out on the streets right now and you go door to door and you talk to people, you ask them what church they go to, most of the people that don't have a church will tell you why they don't go anymore. And a lot of them, it's because of a pastor that hurt them. Maybe it's a friend, a brother, a sister. But there's somebody in your life maybe that you've just, you started to avoid them. You know, you hope you don't run into them at the store. You hope you don't cross paths with them. You always wonder what you're going to say, what you're going to have to do if you face them. And, and you build up these walls that person who is that in your life that's made you a prisoner what we're going to do right now is we're just going to release them to the Lord we're just going to pray and, and release them right now we do that we just call out their name and, and let's just begin to release them and, it, and it's, it's hard it's hard it's hard to do Jesus God, some of the most difficult things that we've ever faced in life are releasing people who we feel have wronged us. Because our, our human nature, our flesh, desires justice. It desires revenge. It desires that somebody pay for all the hurt that they've caused me. That they only feel a little bit of what they caused me. God, that's not forgiveness. God, you said forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, treat us the way we treat other people. And Jesus, I'm asking you right now to forgive me, God, for, for the things that I've, I've held against people. Lord, there's, there's people in this room right now that have literally been living in a prison that their life has just been tainted and it's almost like they've just been poisoned with unforgiveness Father I pray right now that that a spirit of brokenness will just come in and, and that they'll just be released of that and understand that that God you, you want to lift them out of this pit that they're in but it's our job to release people. 
So Father, please forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us this morning. Hallelujah. I was, I was running Master's Commission several years ago. And um, there's a girl that came into our program. I can't remember where she was from. She was from like uh, Michigan or somewhere up north. She came into our program. And man, she was messed up. She had been um, sold into sex trafficking when she was little by her dad. He would make deals with people, with friends, and part of his deal was his daughter. She began to tell me these stories in Master's Commission. She's telling me these stories, and I'm just speechless. And you know why she's telling me? Is she's trying to figure, figure out how to forgive her dad. She decides, in, in the middle of going to our school and stuff, she decides to finally go to a, a counselor. And, and she, had, she had a counselor back home, but she decides to go forward and report it. She starts asking me, so what's going to happen? Is he going to go to prison? Can I let my dad go to prison? She's faced with all these giant decisions. It's not a, oh, I'll forgive him or whatever. It's when I release this, as I get healed of this, my dad could go to prison the rest of his life. And in my flesh, I'm like, oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's going to go to prison. He's going to pay because he's an idiot. And anybody who does that deserves prison. Right? Huh. I just begin to pray with her and we prayed. I pull out this book on forgiveness and we start praying these crazy prayers over her dad. It got real fast. I watched this girl become so broken, so changed, like over a few weeks, months, and it was hard to hear her even say some of the words in those prayers. But God started beginning to break her. And it was one of the most healing moments I've ever seen in my life in any individual ever. And at the end of that year, our graduation, she stood up and she spoke. She preached. She preached the house down. It was powerful. Forgiveness is not always easy, but it's always right. People ask all the time, well, should I forgive? And they give you all the reasons they shouldn't. It's always right. Always right. Thank you for listening to the Exchange Church Podcast. Follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for the Exchange Church Houston. 
If you would like to give to The Exchange Church, you can go to our website at IamTheExchange.com and look for the red button in the top right corner labeled Give Online.